fullness, and you have a sixth grader or below, and you'd, they'd like to go downstairs. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't want to go downstairs, honestly. Much more fun with Miss Kathy than probably with me. Oh, I don't know. Maybe not. But I'd be down there. All right. Hope you had a great Valentine's Day. Wow, that was underwhelming. <laughs> so, since 1902, those little candy hearts with messages have been made by Necco, which is the country's oldest multi-line candy company. And when they were first introduced, the original assortment, you may not have known this, included Candies in the shape of horseshoes, baseballs, postcards, and even watches. Uh, but it was the heart that kind of stayed around, and they started putting messages on all of them. And it wasn't until the 1990s that they started actually updating the messages. Uh, from the early 1900s till the 1990s, the messages had pretty much stayed the same, and some brilliant vice president decided to update those messages, and in 1997, True Love was the one that became the most popular of all the hearts. Now, what I did was I put together some hearts that you probably are not going to see, um, some hearts that probably didn't pass inspection. Uh, some of these hearts are to children um, from parents, and Griff, can you help me out, buddy? Let's see if we can get this uh, moving correctly. So here's some candy um, hearts for kids. I can't change it. I don't know why. Uh, I think this is one every parent. I think I've given this to my children uh, because I said so. I'll change the Wi-Fi password is a real popular one these days. And <laughs> this is one we one, two, two and a half. All right, here are a couple for husbands. Just a little slower, Griff, if you would. Uh, here's the first one. Uh, you can do dishes too. Uh, every wife. Let's go to the next one, Griff. Roses would be nice. And this last one is one I gave my wife several years ago. For you, Lord, you Lord of the Rings. Cheryl has no idea what this means because she's never seen Lord of the Rings, which I think is a tragedy, but true. Uh, be my precious. Uh, and you got to say it in the right voice, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> this morning, I would uh, like to talk to you about, again, our hearts. Our hearts. Jesus says, where your treasure is, what? Yeah, I'm going to keep saying that every week because it's really, really important. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And many of us have a heart for gathering. We have a heart, really, for hoarding. And we have a heart for taking everything we can around us and keeping it and not sharing it with others because we're so afraid of what might happen if we actually start to open-handedly give things away. But my contention is this, and I believe it's a biblical one. It is that when we come to be followers of Jesus Christ, the old nature, that nature of taking and not giving, is put to death. And we become like 
That's the goal. We're to become Christ-like. We're to become like the way God wants us to be, like his son Jesus. How is Jesus? Jesus came and gave. He gave his life as a ransom for many. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We see that our God is a giving God. And we are to be a giving people. When we come up under Jesus, when we receive him as the one who rules our life, that means he's Lord of our life. That means that every, it's a recognition that everything that we have comes from him. And therefore, he's the one in control. And we're trying to, as he gives us direction, do what he tells us to do. In other words, when we talk about the word stewardship, it's another way of saying lordship. Stewardship is lordship. He's lord, we're, we're not. Therefore, we steward and give away in the best possible way that the, what he's given us. And so when we come to talking about giving, then we, it should not be from a legalistic standpoint. Okay, the Bible says you got to give 10%, so you got to tithe 10%. And it's got to be on the gross and not the net. And it's got to be this and it's got to be that. And you've got to do all of this. Because, I, I, as we're going to see this morning, faith stands in opposition to legalism. I mean, I could tell you, here's what you've got to do. Here's what you're supposed to do. But really, it's not going to further you down the road of faith anymore. But instead, God says, hey, out of, out of love for me, out of relationship with me, out of a heart of worship and a heart of thanksgiving, we are to be a giving people. See, that, that is the kind of life that will transform you forever. Legalism will only carry you to a point where you'll see that the law is lifeless. And when you realize that, then you'll stop doing what you were doing. You'll realize, I can't do that. And it's not getting me anywhere. But living a life of relationship with God, it will take you all the way home. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're a steward and an heir. God uses what he's entrusted to us to prepare us for his coming kingdom. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's keep pressing forward. Just because you didn't see the harvest today doesn't mean it's not coming in. Last week, we talked about giving away not our resources, but our words. Our words. You see, everything God has given you is a resource in a steward's hand, including and probably especially our words. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. James 3, 2 says this, If anyone can control his tongue... He has, proves he has perfect control over himself. The New Century Version says it like this. If people never said anything wrong, they would be perfect. Now, I, my contention is this. I, I'm, I'm in a room with 100% imperfect people. Why? Because none of us have gotten total and complete control over our tongues at this point. But God is calling us to steward our words carefully. And so we give away words. We give away resources. We give away words. And today I want to talk about giving away a vision, living a life that's visionary. 
and how that makes us good stewards and how we're in the giving of it, we are displaying the glory of God to the world around us. Over 350 years ago, a shipload of European travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. Uh, In their first year, they established a, a town site. The next year, they elected a town government. Seems like the right thing. Get a town, get a government. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. I mean, who knew who needed to go five more miles? Here were people who had the vision to travel 3,000 miles across an ocean, establish a town, begin to raise a family and to live the rest of their lives there, but had lost any vision of anything beyond going five miles westward. They lost quickly. Within four years, their pioneering vision. With a clear vision of what we can become in Christ, our vision never stops. It never ceases. It never says, here is far enough. Helen Keller was once asked, what would be worse than being born blind? To which she replied, having sight without a vision. We have, in many cases, as followers of Jesus Christ, lost our vision for who we are and what we're to be. Proverbs 29, 18 says, without a vision, the people what? Perish. Another way of wording that in the NIV says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Without restraint, meaning they just go their own way. If you go outside and get into your car and you just go wherever the heck you please, you will perish. Why do I say that? Because the road is right here. You can't go wherever you want. There is a vision to how God has called us, and we need to hear from him and get his vision. The book of Habakkuk is one of those, it's a great book, and it's rich. It's a rich little prophetic book. Habakkuk brings this complaint before the Lord where he says, God, these people are horrible. What are you going to do about these people? And God says, I'm going to take them to captivity. I'm going to bring the Babylonians. I'm going to bring a worse people in to punish these people. And Habakkuk says, I got a second complaint. I don't like the way you're handling this. I mean, that's basically, he has three complaints, by the way. Every time God tells him something, he starts off with his own complaint, and every time God answers his complaint, he's complaining about the word that God has already given him. It's so typical of us, isn't it? I got, I got some problems with the way you're doing things, Lord. And then he tells us something, i got more problems with the way you're thinking. Anyway, it gets to this great passage in Habakkuk 2, where he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer when I'm corrected. At least he's got this down. He knows, I've got a complaint, I've heard, I complained again, 
that didn't go so good. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand my watch and hear what he says, and then I'm going to receive my correction like a big boy. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Rich passage. I want to talk about it a little this morning as an example of being visionary. Being visionary. And the Bible is full of people with vision. I mean, think about it. Abraham, Abram. It's told, hey, Abram, get up from here and go travel. I'm not going to really tell you where you're going. Just get going. And by the way, if you'll do this, then you're going to be the father of a great nation. Now, there are two problems. Abram, we'll call him Abraham, had never traveled. Probably didn't have a passport or a visa or the things necessary. And he had no kids. I mean, it takes quite a vision to say, I'm going to leave my father's house I'm going to leave the wealth behind, go forward and find some land and have a family as an old man. Moses, 80 years old. You know, none of these guys were young, by the way. If you look, when Abraham got this call and vision, he was not a young guy. Moses was probably 80 when he was in the desert and saw the burning bush. God said, hey, go go down there. You're going to get my people free. Moses, you know, gave a lot of complaints. I stutter. They don't like me very much down there. I killed a guy. I mean, things are not, things are not down, down there. I, it's not good. And God said, go, I'm going to be with you. David was, David gets this word from Samuel that you're going to be king of the nation. David's not even king in his family. I mean, he's the youngest son. He's the one taking care of sheep. All his brothers are more important than him. I mean, we could go on and on about people who got vision for their life but were not ready to get it and didn't have any idea how they were going to get to where God said they're going to be. Today, I want to say to you, God has a vision for your life. And a vision for your life is only a vision from God when it's more than you can do on your own. If, it's, if you can do it, it's not really visionary. It's just American work ethic. I mean, really, there's a difference. I'm talking about an empowerment, a vision that comes from God that's so God-scary that if you say, if I go out on it, I, I'm, I'm done for. I can't do this. Great. Now it's time to go. Because those are the things that God is going to work in our lives if we'll receive it and walk in it that will change the world. How is that going to happen? Well, first of all, get ready to receive. Get ready to receive. The key word here is awareness. Part of the problem is we're not, we're not listening. We don't really believe there's anything more, so we've kind of gone deaf to receive what God has for us. Habakkuk 2, 1 and 3 says this, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me 
Do you get it? Habakkuk says, okay, I'm going to just stand here. I'm going to watch and see what he'll say to me. Some of us just need to get in a position to hear from the Lord. We keep saying, you know, God never speaks to me. You know, God, God's never telling me anything. Part of the problem is you're not listening. I mean, I have to be honest. Yesterday morning, Kathy and I were having breakfast. Kathy was talking about something. Something I'm really not sure. I was way too focused on my grits and eggs. I mean, I was like in the zone. And my mind is on a million different things. And about five minutes later, she said, you're, you're not listening to me. And I, I started to say, yeah, 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 I, I'm listening. But she knows me. She knows when I'm in that, I, you're not, I hadn't heard a word. She, so she said, what, what, what did I just say? I mean, I was, there's no lying there. I just wasn't listening. It's not that I don't like her or anything. It just, I've got an ADD problem when it comes to listening. We got that with the Lord. He's trying to talk to us, but we don't even put ourselves in a position to hear. And he says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, do the thing you hate to do. Wait for it. We live in a culture that will not wait. Nothing we have do we have to wait for hardly anymore. The quicker the better. It will surely come. See, vision is the ability to see. See, see beyond our natural eyes to see what God has for us. In, in Revelation 28, 9, 18, it was called Revelation. We've talked about this before. Revelation really is this idea of uncovering. That's really the heart of the meaning of revelation. It's there, we just can't see it. And once it's uncovered, now we see it, right? People, we see it. There are things that are right in front of us all the time, but we don't even see them with our natural eyes, but they're right there. I've used the illustration before, but it, to me, it's a, it's a great one. I, you know, I, 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 drive a, I drive a Volkswagen CC, which, so I've been told, I don't look like this car. I don't know what that means, that I don't look like the car. I think the car looks way better than I do, or younger than me, something. But in any case, Mark Colvin, years ago, called me and said, a couple years ago, called and said, hey, I know you need a new car. You should look at this car. And I'm like, I've never even heard of this car before. What is this car? So I go out and drive it. I liked it a lot. Drove it around. And really, I had never seen one of these cars before, at least I said. And now, once I'm driving home from just driving the car, I'm like, hey, there's one. Hey, there's another one. Hey, there's another one right there. I mean, it's, it's a simple illustration, but many times we're not noticing. Things are not, things are, God's wanting to say, I want to uncover it for you. If you'll just wake up, listen to me, I'll make you aware of it. And God's promises, he will. Acts, we quoted it and sang it this morning. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on who? All people, black, white, men, women, on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. We need to dream dreams. We need to realize that we can receive. Here's, here's the bottom line from my perspective. You're, you are in the process of receiving something. Um, you're receiving what the world says about you. You're receiving what your parents said about you. You're receiving what your husband, wife, co-workers. You're receiving something. And many times the messages that others want to put on us and that we start to receive, they are not life-giving messages. They're not leading to where God wants to take us. Uh, This past week, I think I have a picture. Is there a picture next? Yeah, there's a picture. This is uh, uh, Prince Henrik. Prince of Denmark. He died this past week at the age of 83. He had been married to the queen for over 50 years. When he died this week, it was announced that the prince would not be buried in the royal cemetery next to his wife when she passes away because this is because his title was only prince and not king. And he was mad about it. And was so mad about it that he said, I'm not going to be married, buried next to my wife. Fifty years of marriage, two kids and a bunch of grandkids had been prince of this country for over 50 years. But because they didn't recognize me and call me king, I'm not going to be buried next to her. Now, I don't know if this struck you as absurd as it strikes me. But you know what it's saying? Hey, you didn't recognize me for who I am. Therefore, my last act, I'm going to make a stand really of meaninglessness. I'm going to stand on my principles. No, no. You're standing on a vision that's faulty. We need to stand on the vision of what God has for us. You see, you are not who you think you are. I mean, it's just the truth. You're not who you think you are. You are who God says you are. But you've got to put yourself in a position to receive from him an awareness of what he says about you. So receive what he says. Then, purpose to believe. Purpose to believe it. The key word here is faith. Faith. Habakkuk 2 um, Verses 2 and 4 says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. What what is Habakkuk saying? He's saying there's a pride way of living and a faith way of living. A pride way of living and a faith way of living. A pride says, I'm going to establish my own vision. I am my own man or woman. I make my own way. I do my own stuff. A faith way of living says, I'm going to hear from God and step out in hope. Step out in faith. I'm going to move forward by faith. By the way, this, this phrase, the just shall live by his faith, or the just shall live by faith, comes a, is mentioned at least three times in the New Testament it's quoted. In Romans 1, 17, Paul says, the just shall live by faith. It becomes the theme of the entire book of Romans that the the only way that we are to live a life is by faith. And let me just say this too. 
He, he is saying that the true child of God, regardless of birth, is, is by faith. By faith. Uses the nation of Israel, uses her own works, using, uses so many different things to say. The child of God is the one who is a child by faith. It's used again in Galatians 3.11, where he says you can't, you can't live by the law and faith. Paul is using this exact passage to say, look, there's the law way of living. And by the way, Paul, Paul ties it to that proud statement. And then there's the faith way of living. And the two do not go together. And it's used in Hebrews 10.38, saying that salvation is future tense. In other words, faith is not just about Today, it is about salvation today, but it's about persevering. It's about moving forward. And it leads to that famous definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1, 1, where he says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There is a future tense to faith. You see, faith is vision. And vision is seeing it long before it is. The author of Hebrews then goes on to give a list of incredible people who walk by faith, vision, and not by sight, what they could just see around them. A fifth grade Sunday school class was asked to go home and count the stars. They came back and little kids were just giving answers, thousands, millions, I counted millions of stars. And this one little boy wasn't saying anything. The teacher said, how many, stars, how many stars did you count? He said, three. To which he said, you only saw three? To which he replied, well, you know, I guess we got a small backyard. Part of our vision and the problem with our vision is we can't get out of our stinking own backyard. We're stuck there. And we can't see beyond it. But a faith way of living breaks the fence down and gets you out of your backyard. You see, honestly, I am content to sit on my back deck and read. You know, if I had my own way, I'd probably be there now, to be honest. I like it. I mean, I like you too, but I, I, I just like being by myself, reading, drinking a cup of coffee on a beautiful morning. You know, we don't get many days like where you can just actually sit outside and enjoy the weather. Listen, that's not what God has called me to, though. God says, get out of your own backyard. Get out of your fenced-in area and have a vision for what you can be. See, you're not just, and there's nothing wrong with being a mother, a wife. There's nothing wrong with that. But that is not your, God's definition of who you are. Hello? I mean, you're much more than that because you're his kingdom representative even in your home and every other place you go as well. I mean, it's beyond that. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Give me greater vision. I, I, I see it and I believe, but I need more to get there. Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer. He was a butler to the king. But God gave him a vision for what he could be. And it took great faith 
every step of the way to proceed in Nehemiah's life. You see, one of Satan's greatest attacks on you and on me is on our faith combined with our attitude. Well, he'll say, hey, he'll get you to say, hey, no one else cares. Why should I? Look, if you're the only one who cares, that could make that world a difference. No one appreciates anything I do, so let's see what they'll do when I don't do anything. That vision is crazy. I'll never be able to accomplish that. I mean, Satan tries to put us into this place where our faith is decimated. Our faith is lessened because vision can only be carried out as an act of faith. God's vision can only be carried out as an act of faith. Noah, it had never even rained according to the way the Bible built a boat. I mean, really. Mary, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Huh? I've never even been with a man. How can I have a baby? No word from God is without power. Be it unto me according to your word, then, Lord. Faith. Faith got her there. Final point is this. We need to persevere and act. We need to persevere to act. And the key word here is courage. Courage to step out in faith. You see, we, we can receive God's vision. We can even have faith to believe it. But really, I think a further definition of this is faith is belief plus yourself. It's believing plus putting yourself in it and acting. Stepping out in it. Habakkuk 2.2 says that he may run who reads it. I'll stay away from the running illustrations this morning. I, just take a step. We'll worry about the running later. But once we step out in faith, you know, there's this thing called Couch to 5K. I like the title because part of it is you, you just got to get off the couch at some point in order to actually run a 5K. But for today... Let's just say, let's get off the couch. Take that first step. Because the just will live by his faith. Faith is belief plus that action. And then there's going to come a day where we're going to run with vision. We're going to run with passion. Our American mindset, by the way, many times is this. Let's just keep analyzing. Let's just keep talking about it. Let's keep examining the angles. Let's keep saying what if and what if and what if. Let's keep ready. Aim, 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 aim. We never fire. We never step out in what God has called us to do. John Kennedy in the early 1960s declared, we'll put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. I mean, the, the claim was unbelievably remarkable because we had yet to put a man in space, much less on the moon when he declared it. But the Russians had put a man in space, and he said, if they can do it, we can do it, and we'll go one step further. Vision is seeing it, having the faith to believe it, 
and then stepping out on it. Next week, I'm going to talk about stewarding our actions. How do we give away by doing? Jeremiah 20, verse 9 says, But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. The idea here is that when God speaks and his vision is placed in your heart, if you suppress it, it's going to be like a fire that consumes you from the inside out. There's a fire in our bones. Here's the idea. When God gives a vision, I believe that faith is a gift from him as well. You see, faith, faith is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, right? Hello? I'm kind of quoting some scripture here, people. So just agree with me. Uh, faith is not of ourselves. It's from God. So it's not like even God gives me the vision and then I say, okay, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Rather, it's God gives me the vision. He says, here's where you're going. Now I'm going to give you the faith, the fire to step out in it. And here's my part. Go. Do it. Step out in it. Here's my part. I act upon it. Now, I did put myself in a position to receive. I, I tried to silence some things around me to try and hear from God. But really, the speaking part is his. He spoke. He gifted me with faith. My part is just to step out in the gift that he's given me. Paul Harvey, he used to have these rest of the story things for those of you. Who, you know, when I was little, there was no such thing as satellite radio. I mean, really, somebody, I love satellite radio now. I have it. I have to admit, I love it. Um, because wherever I go, I can listen to music or podcasts and different things. But anyway, when I was little, Paul Harvey was the closest thing he got. And you changed the AM station until you finally found Paul Harvey um, broadcasting from some big old radio station in the middle of nowhere, I guess. Anyway, here's one of the, his rest of the story. One summer morning, I can't do his voice either. I'm sorry. He had that great that great voice, but here's the story. One summer morning, as Ray Blankenship was preparing his breakfast, he gazed out the window and saw a small girl being swept along in the rain-flooded drainage ditch beside his Andover, Ohio home. Blankenship knew that farther downstream, the ditch disappeared with a roar underneath a road and then emptied into the main culvert. Ray dashed out the door and raced along the ditch, trying to get ahead of the foundering child. Then he hurled himself into the deep, churning water. Blankenship surfaced and was able to grab the child's arm. They tumbled end over end. Within three feet of the yawning culvert, Ray's free hand felt something, possibly a rock protruding from one bank. He clung desperately but the tremendous force of the water tried to tear him and the child away. He thought, if I can just hang on until help comes. He did better than that. By the time the fire department rescuers arrived, Blankenship had pulled the girl to safety. Both were treated for shock. And on April 12, 1989, Ray Blankenship was awarded 
the Coast Guard's silver life-saving medal. The medal is fitting. For the selfless person was an even greater risk to himself than most people know. You see, Ray Blankenship can't swim. He's got to be the only one to ever get the Coast Guard's life-saving medal who can't swim. You see, many of us would say, I don't have a vision. I can't. Rather than saying, God can. Faith. Vision. Action. Receive. Believe and act. Let me read this passage to you from Habakkuk 2 one more time. I'll stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I'll answer when I'm corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. See, friends, stewardship is lordship. Stewardship is lordship. The Lord is one who gives the revelation or vision. We should take note of it and then work toward its accomplishment. The timing of the fulfillment is up to who? It's up to the Lord. And His timing is always perfect. We want no failure on our watch. We are responsible. And to do that, we have to live by faith. You see, men and women of vision and dreams... They're different. They have no trouble praying because they have something to pray about. They have no trouble tithing because they believe in giving of their resources wholeheartedly. They have no trouble believing God for big things because they know that God can do the impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. No word from God is without power. They have no trouble with drifting and laziness. Because they know where they're going and they're turned on to Jesus. They find themselves setting measurable, realistic, motivating, and attainable, but not easy goals that don't challenge their faith. I, I, I'm saying this, people. God is he's envisioning us. He is giving us vision. Your, your sons, your daughters, your men, your women, we will prophesy. We will receive. We will have dreams. We will have visions. We do. Put yourself in a position to hear. Act in faith, on the faith that God has given you courageously, and we will see things change around us. Lord, this morning we say thank you. We pray that we will be a people of dreams and visions. God, I pray that your hand will be upon us in the days ahead. God, help us to see what we could not see apart from you. Here's what I'd like. Keep your eyes closed, if you would, just for a minute. 
I think we're all at one of these steps in the road. One of these steps. You're either in a place where you need to receive God's vision. You would say, you know, I just need to hear from him about the vision for the future. Or maybe you've heard, but you just need, God, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And gift me with greater faith. Or you're in a position right now where God is saying to you, step out. I've given you the vision, the belief. Now act upon it. Only you know where you are this morning, really. But wherever you are, say, God, I want to take the next. I want to go the next one. I want to fulfill the vision. I I, want to fulfill and act upon what you've given me. So this morning, just, just for a second, just receive from him. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We receive from you right now the vision that you have for us in the days ahead, and we glory in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. People, as we put ourselves in positions, God's going to change things dramatically in the days ahead. Um, One of the things we have been praying about as elders and leaders is where God is taking us as a church in the days ahead. What God has for us as a people. Um, This Wednesday night, we have our fullness family meeting and we will be sharing with you some very important aspects of where we believe God has for us. But this morning, I wanted to share one of those with you as a, as a point of rejoicing. Uh, ever since um, Rich uh, stepped off staff, we have been quietly praying about who God would have bring on staff with us as an associate pastor. We have a vision for the future of reaching um, the millennials, which are those ages 20 through 37, really for the future to build the church generationally as we move forward. And God has, God has given us an incredible opportunity and uh, has confirmed it. And so this morning we're announcing to you that we're bringing Gabriel Hughes on staff as our uh, associate pastor starting uh, in the middle of March. Um, this is a remarkable, uh, really, if you think about it, because Canvas Church is only two miles from here. Uh, John and I have talked about it. We met this week. Um, it's, it, it's a change that we're rejoicing in. Uh, we believe it's in God's timing. You know that Gabe was uh, really a son of this church. He went to high school and college here before he left. Um, I think that was seven years ago uh, to start Pope Culture, and then they merged with Canvas, and now we're bringing him back home, really, to be a part of fullness. We believe it's in God's timing. Gabe and Jordan, and if you didn't know, Jordan is Mike and Tanya's daughter, um, Gabe's wife, so we still have family here, and so I'm sure they're rejoicing with us. I I hope I'm not telling you this first time today. You guys should know this already. I hope that uh, Gabe and Jordan are are coming on staff, and uh, they have a daughter now, and so we rejoice in this. If you have any questions about it, come and see me or one of our elders. We have prayed through this. Um, we've prayed toward this for a long time 
and since the beginning of January, really, uh, all of this has come to be. So uh, I'm, we're announcing it this morning rather than Wednesday night because Canvas is announcing it right now as well. Uh, they're letting their people know we wanted everybody to hear it at the same time. Gabe and Jordan will be here Wednesday night so that we can just initially welcome them. So that hopefully, you know, we have a dinner at 6. You're supposed to sign up for it. Uh, Caroline will probably be in the foyer with the computer helping you sign up to bring soup, salad, sandwiches, whatever. We'll eat at 6. What time? 6. six. That's a difference. 6 o'clock, downstairs, bring your stuff. Let's Really, if you're part of fullness, I'm trying to say this in grace and not legalism, but stink and get here. All right, come Wednesday night. Um, we'll make everything possible for child care, and we'll, we'll take care of things. But please be here. We have a lot of things we want to share with you continuing on. Six o'clock on Wednesday, on Wednesday night. And also you can greet, greet Gabriel and Jordan as, as they're here, here that night. Um, oh, we're supposed to take up an offering. That's what I'm leading into. Hey, your white cards are in your bulletin. Please take those out. Uh, if you're new to fullness, fill it out completely. Put in the offering when it's placed. Again, offering is not something you do legalistically or based on some moral principle. It's an act of worship and thanksgiving. Stewardship is lordship. And so we, we ask that you give out of a grateful, generous, joyful heart. While you're getting your offering ready, I do think we have an announcement video, don't we, guys? Let's play that announcement video, and then we'll take up an offering. Good morning, and welcome to Fullness. My name is Caroline Couch. Here at Fullness, we are called to encounter God and His people experience the power of the Holy Spirit as we discover our purpose and expand our influence by making a difference. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're so happy you're here. One of the ministries we have here at Fullness to help our women get connected and build relationships is called Beloved Sisters. This is where we pair two women together for a one-year commitment. You will fill out a profile sheet and on that sheet, you'll let us know a little bit about you and how much time you can devote to this relationship and what you might hope to gain from it. It's a powerful time of just getting to build a new friendship. You know, the enemy wants to keep us isolated. He will tell you, you don't have time for that or I don't need that in my life. But I'm asking every woman of fullness to prayerfully consider being a part of the Beloved Sisters Ministry. So go ahead, pick up a profile sheet in the foyer today and just seek the Lord and let's see what he'll do.